Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cash That. This is your host, Joe Delera. Um, got some cool, exciting news coming out in the next couple of uh, days, weeks or so. Uh, but it should be another really cool affiliate program that we've got, another deal that we've kind of made. And this one is for our New Jersey-based customers. So you guys know uh, this is a New Jersey-based pod. We absolutely have regional bias to New Jersey. So this is kind of going to be one of those boosts where, you know, we can kind of help out the local, the local audience over here. So I'm looking forward to announcing it. We're finalizing the last details and trying to make this the best deal possible for you guys. Uh, it, it's a cool new, it's a cool new thing. And I'm really excited to reveal all of the details for that. Um, but with that, I'm recording solo dolo today. It's a little bit late, uh, but congratulations to producer Corey. Uh, producer Corey's not here. Um, he is too busy getting nacho fries. Uh, that is a direct quote. Um, and but producer Corey did get engaged over the weekend, so congrats to him. And uh, you know, we all wish him a lifetime full of happiness over here. So. With that, we're going to just talk about more important things. Sorry, Corey, but uh, the U.S. men's national team has advanced to the round of 16. I, I am seeing some things on Twitter. You guys know I'm not the biggest soccer guy, but I am seeing that the U.S. is a little bit undervalued, I think, at this number. Uh, it seems like they're plus 250 against the Netherlands. Maybe worth a little sprinkle. Um, FanDuel's been doing a cool promo, like bet on the money line. It's just risk-free, so that's a good way to kind of root for them. And you know, who doesn't have a nice 100 to 1 future on the U.S. men's national team. But moving on from that, we're going to just kind of break down this Wednesday NBA slate really quickly. Um, I've had the opportunity to dive into this a bit. Uh, my dog, Lila, canine Lila, as you guys know and love, had uh, had a little bit of a surgery today. So we are going to keep it. We're going to keep it tight so I can get back over to her and make sure that she's doing okay. Um, but what you guys will see for me today is I did write the game guide for the 76ers versus the Cavs for Action Network, and you guys will see that out there. I'm going to give out the pick. I won't get too into the analysis since you guys can read it there and find it in other ways, but I gave out the 76ers plus four. You guys know I do not really enjoy betting on the 76ers. Um Longtime listener Vinny Oliva knows that I have just it's not really a hatred. It's just that I don't really like what they do. But, you know, here we are. But the 76ers, I'm taking them plus four. I think you can sprinkle the money line as well. You're getting plus 155. The big thing here is this matchup against the Cavs. They're going to be without Jared Allen. They're going to be without Kevin Love, two of their top three players in terms of point differential. And over the last two seasons, the Cavs are 10 and 20 without Jarrett Allen. He is incredibly, incredibly important to this team. And uh, I'm going to be taking the points with the Sixers as a road dog in this spot. Uh, additionally, I like Joel Embiid over four and a half assists. You can get it at plus 125 at DraftKings at the time of this recording. Uh, I've already logged this in the app so you guys can see that. But he's gone over four and a half assists in eight of nine games of the last two years without Tyrese Maxey and James Harden. Additionally, he's had three games against Evan Mobley where he's recorded five, five, and 10 assists in those games. So that 10 assist game was also a triple double. 
so he he really has performed well against Mobley, and I think I think Embiid is a bit of a tough task for uh, for Mobley even in his sophomore season, uh, with any of the improvements that we have seen from him. So let's break down the rest of this slate. Uh, the, the next game that I really am looking at is really the Kings minus four here. Uh, the Kings are playing my beloved Indiana Pacers. And by beloved, I just mean that they have Tyrese Halliburton on the team. And boy, are we going to talk about him after I give this out? Look, the thing with this game is the Kings are just a much better team. Like I, It's kind of hard to say this otherwise but the kings look they're plus they're they're better in terms of adjusted net rating they got about a one and a half point edge in terms of adjusted net rating the kings have the number three offense in the league compared to indiana's 12th and even though the king's defense is 28th compared to indiana's 21st the reason i like this is this is the pacers they played a lot of games consecutively on the west coast now this is one of their longer road trips and the Kings are performing very well. Uh, and one of the things I wrote about this in my props piece, and I wrote about how pace, I think, is such an interesting thing. And I wrote about how we bet on pace and how different things with the Kings uh, that I find interesting. And one of them is the Kings are sixth in pace. The Pacers are fifth. So you'd expect this to be a fairly high-paced game. The issue that I have with this spot is that the Kings are doing this by speeding up their offensive time of possession, but their defensive length of possession is a bit longer. It's taking teams a little bit longer to get to their shots. It's taking teams a little bit longer to get through their rotations against the Sacramento Kings. And what I've found interesting is that despite that, we are seeing Sacramento, they're about league average in terms of opponent assists allowed per game. Um, over the last three, though, uh, over the last three, we are seeing them kind of in the same boat. They're still allowing 25.3 assists per game. So it still takes teams a bit to, to generate offense. Um, and you're not seeing a ton of you're seeing a little bit of ISO, though, against this team as teams try to, like, exploit different matchups. Um it, but either way, what's really wind up happening is it's taking teams longer to get into their offense against the Kings. And this is not really something that the Pacers like to do. The Pacers also like to get out and run. So I, I, I think that it's kind of one of those spots where if the Pacers can get bogged down a little bit in the half court, it's, I think it's good for Halliburton's assists. It's at 11 and a half. It's really high. And we'll kind of get into the little bit of a revenge narrative we have going on here. Um, but I, I do think that the Kings at home in this spot are the pick, uh, the Pacers just came off a really, really emotional win against the Los Angeles Lakers. That was a game that honestly they were dogs in, but they probably should have been listed as at least a pick them or a favorite. So it's, it's really an interesting, it's an interesting spot. And when I look at this as well, over the last couple of weeks, over the last couple of weeks, my one issue is that Indiana's offense has slowed just a bit. 
Um, they've gone and they've dropped their offensive points per 100 from 113.4 to 110.5. And over the last two weeks, they've been successful. Don't get me wrong, um, because their defense has seen an uptick, but their offense has slowed just a little bit. And my concern is that Sacramento, on the other hand, has actually improved their offense over the past couple of weeks. And they have had the third best offense over the last two weeks to uh, the Boston Celtics and the Phoenix Suns, who we both know or who we all know uh, are both incredible teams this season. So I think that in terms of recent form, I like the Kings a bit better. And I think that this is still a long road trip for the Indiana Pacers. Now, I want to talk about this revenge game narrative just a little bit. I don't really like the revenge game thing just generally, I I don't know how much it really works. And I think that in this spot, I think it really worked out better for both teams to have this trade of Halliburton for Sabonis, you know, uh, last season in the one game that these two teams played after the trade, Sabonis didn't play. So this is going to be his first crack against his former team tonight. Um, But Halliburton had 13 points, five rebounds, 15 assists, three steals, and zero turnovers. So he really dished the ball well in that matchup. And I think that he'll be able to do so uh, do so tonight as well. And his prop line is set at 11 and a half for the assists. I, I kind of like it, but I might try to go find some like alternate lines on his points and assists and kind of like put them together, not take the points and assists prop, but take maybe like uh like a 17 and 10 or like double double or something like that uh because he should still be able to score on this Sacramento team. But what I'm really interested in seeing is you know how Sabonis does because he's been crushing his assist line. They finally have adjusted it to six and a half, but even then he's gone over this line in numerous games. Like he is he's just having a great time playing basketball right now. And it's been fun to watch this Kings offense really develop and really continue to succeed. So they moved this line to six and a half and he's still gone over that line in 10 of the last 19 games or 10 of 19 games this season. And when we look at the past 10, uh, he's gone over this in six of 10 with three more games at six. So maybe this is a spot where if you wanted to play a little bit of like a revenge narrative, you can maybe play a little bit of like Halley double double at and Sabonis over over five and a half uh, assists, and you probably get some nice odds on that. Well, and let's actually just take a look real quick. Let's take a look. So you can actually get Halley to have ten assists and Sabonis to have six assists at minus one thirteen on Fanduel right now, and. Sabonis, like I said, Sabonis has gone over this in nine of the last 10 games. And Halliburton has also hit that assist mark in nine of the last 10 games. So at minus 113, I actually really like that play. I'm going to put that in right now. I think that that's a lot of fun. And uh, you can kind of back this revenge narrative, but in like an unselfish way with the fact that we're looking at their assist line here. Um, So the other game that's really stood out to me on this slate is the. Uh, is the Washington Wizards versus the Brooklyn Nets. Over the last couple of weeks, we've really seen Brooklyn develop. And we talked about this in my props piece. We've talked about this on the pod before, but Brooklyn kind of started coming together 
without Kyrie Irving. And over the past couple of weeks, their offense has started to gel a bit more. They, they're scoring 116.1 points per 100 possessions. And although the defense isn't there quite yet, uh, and they haven't been great against the spread, I still think that they are a much better team than Washington, who, even though they've been successful over the past couple of weeks in terms of adjusted net rate, or in terms of uh, point differential, I still like Brooklyn in this spot. And this is part of why. When I'm looking at adjusted net rating, I have the Brooklyn Nets at, at plus 1.4, which is 12th in the league, compared to Washington at minus 0. 0.6, uh, which is 20th in the league. And by me saying I have that at, I'm looking at what they've got at dunksandthrees.com. Talk to you guys about this. I think it's a great, great, great resource. Um, but one of the things that I like about this matchup in particular is this. Brooklyn takes exponentially more threes than the Wizards do on the season. When we look at the frequency in terms of like what they're shooting, the Wizards are 21st in three-point frequency compared to Brooklyn, their 10th in three-point frequency. Additionally, Brooklyn's been able to capitalize on those shots where Washington has not been able to. Washington shooting just 35% from three as a team, then that is 20th in the league compared to Brooklyn, who is shooting 37.6% from three-point range, which is seventh in the league. And Washington's defense, although they've been doing a good job of limiting three-point opportunities, when opponents are shooting against them, they're converting and they're shooting, they're making 37% of their shots from three, which is a bottom 10 rank for Washington. So with Ben Simmons coming out of the lineup. One of the things that this is going to do is it's probably going to insert Joe Harris, who is obviously a, is obviously a three point shooter. And I think that he's going to be able to really take advantage of this Washington defense. So we should see a little bit more playmaking from both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And what I, what I like about that is that it's a little bit harder for defenses to clog the, or, you know, to, to abandon Simmons if he's on the perimeter, uh, he's since he's not playing. So you have to play out. It kind of can, it can kind of open up the interior for some driving, for some cutting, and then that can kind of create a little bit more space for Durant or Irving to operate in the pick a roll, whether they want to do it, you know, moving around the perimeter and do a little bit more perimeter pick and roll action, or if they want to kind of attack the paint and pick and roll with Claxton or with each other. Um, and that can oftentimes open up the three point line as it kind of gets lost uh, because you have one guy, you don't have one guy on the offensive end in Ben Simmons that, you know, can't necessarily shoot from the perimeter where if you lose him there, it's not necessarily the end of the world. So in this spot where Brooklyn is minus five and a half, we're actually seeing some action on this already. And this line is moving as we speak to there's some six and a halves in the market as well. So I like Brooklyn here. And I think that this is a little bit, I just think that this is a little bit too short. I think that by the time we see this close, we'll see this around like Brooklyn minus seven or so. And I think that with Brooklyn shot selection and the way that Brooklyn is going to attack this Washington team, that losing Simmons isn't the end of the world. Although like maybe he would have been nice to kind of defend Brad Beal, maybe a little bit of Kuzma, 
Um, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit of Porzingis. It's, I don't really think that it's the end of the world, considering the fact that you're going to just add a three point shooter to this Nets offense, which is a spot that, you know, Washington is weak against. So also just did another line shopping thing real quick. Uh, that parlay for the Sabonis six plus assists and Halliburton 10 plus is plus 100 on DraftKings. So that's where I'm going to play that. Um, now, the last two things that I wanted to touch on today are the Minnesota Timberwolves lost Rudy Gobert to uh, a calf injury, and he really sold on us on that four and a half assist that we put out there. Had four in the third, like early in the third quarter, and then just got hurt. So uh, this wasn't an ACL tear. So the jury is still out on him being a baby back bitch. But here we are, and I think what's going to be a little interesting, honestly, is that. I'm not so sure that they're going to be worse without him. Uh, look, like they obviously have two bigs in Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. But what I have thought is really interesting is the fact that like they've they're kind of gelling there, but it's it's a little bit tough, especially on the offensive end. So when I was looking at this, I was looking at how Rudy Gobert has performed like without without Carl Anthony Towns. And when we look at the minutes, there's hasn't been a ton of possessions with that. Um, he's in over 432 possessions. The defense has been fine, but the offense has really suffered. But when we look at this, if we start adding in other guys, if we start adding in like Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, and Cat is off the floor, then, you know, there's, it's, it's actually, it's continues to be worse. But what I'm looking at here is I think that that there's really only a hundred possessions of that. And I think that a lot of times you get like weird sample sizes, like that's not really a huge sample size, right? What I'm curious to see is if they don't have towns, does the defense make a little bit more sense because you're running out two bigs um, and not a, and it's not like one big that wants to be a traditional center and the other big that wants to be a shooting guard. Um, so I'm wondering if that, how that kind of is going to impact the team. And I'm wondering if they can just kind of default to what Rudy does best, which is, you know, he's, he's a great lob threat. He is a great, uh, he's a great rim defender and he's a great, defensive presence like Rudy Gobert on your defense should make you automatically a top 10 defense in the league and if we look at Minnesota over the you know over the course of the season like they've really they've really struggled on the defensive side of the ball um and they are ranked you know 22nd in adjusted defensive rating but I wonder if you know over the last couple of weeks they've kind of improved on that uh over the last couple of weeks we've seen them uh you know, allow opponents to score just 106.8 points per 100 possessions. So I'm curious to see how this kind of shakes out and if they can maybe develop some lineups that work with Gobert, Russell, and Edwards uh, without Towns and to see maybe if there's certain things schematically that can work, uh, even if like for when Towns come, does come back, since it sounds like it's just a multi-week injury and not a season ender. Finally, SGA has been crazy and he's 
our number one competition for Tyrese Halliburton, most improved player of the year. But, you know, he's not on a playoff team. And the Thunder, you know, realistically will probably fall out of this playoff race and never really be in this playoff race. But one of the things that I like about him is he's currently averaging 6.2 assists per game. And on Monday night, he had prop lines at 30 and a half points, four and a half rebounds and five and a half assists. When he played that game, you know, they played well. They wound up like really backdoor covering that game, but Shea had 31 points, six rebounds and four assists. And when I wrote the props article, I actually mentioned that I didn't like this spot on Monday against the Pelicans for the assists. And I thought that it was just not the best spot due to the Pelicans defense, but I did like the spot tonight against the San Antonio Spurs. Here's a couple of reasons why over the last four games that Shea has played against the San Antonio Spurs, he's logged eight, seven, nine, and eight assists against them. Uh, additionally, I was thinking that he might go under against the Pelicans or just kind of hover right around that number. I didn't think that the number would change. Maybe we get a little bit better number. Maybe we get a four and a half. I doubt it, but maybe because of the hip injury, maybe we do. Uh, additionally, on the season, San Antonio has allowed the most opponent assists per game at 28.1. Uh, this is a pretty good pace up spot for the uh, for the Oklahoma City Thunder. The, the Spurs are seventh in pace, and a lot of that has to do with defensive possession length. So I think that this is a good opportunity for Shea if he does if he is able to suit up uh, to kind of rack up some to rack up some assists in what should be a pretty high paced game between you know the Thunder are fourth and there's not a ton of teams that can really keep up with them and the Spurs are seventh in pace so that's another pick that I'm gonna be looking at uh, and if it's at five and a half I'm gonna fire on Shea's assist line. So with that, uh, I'm just going to leave you with a quick recommendation. And one of the things that happened today was I, like, you know, when Lila was getting her surgery or so yesterday, when Lila was getting her surgery, me and Jenna, we went and we saw a movie. So the last time I've seen a matinee movie, I couldn't even tell you when that was, but we went and we saw the menu and it was, it was very good. Number one, just being able to recline in those movie theater seats is just the best. Uh, get a little popcorn, get a little soda, but the menu was excellent uh, besides the popcorn, but the menu, the movie was excellent and it wasn't too long. It was a little under two hours and it kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat and you're anticipating, you know, what's going to happen next. It was, it was very, very well done. And I think it had like an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, you know, it's been reviewed well uh, by a multitude of individuals. So with that, you know, we'll, we'll keep it, we'll keep it close for you. We'll keep it quick and, you know, stay hungry and continue cashing those bets.